Hi, and welcome to Helping People Perform, the podcast that gives you fascinating insights into those people whose chosen vocation is to help others perform at their best. From consultants to teachers, sports coaches to financial advisors, all of my guests share a passion for getting the most out of individuals, teams and organisations. Enjoy the episode. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Helping People Perform podcast. Today I've got a special guest all the way from Wellington in New Zealand. Uh, so I welcome in today creative producer, speaker coach and speaker himself. Uh, welcome DK. Oh, it's great to be here Paul, thank you for having me. Yeah, I was just saying before we uh, we got kicked off here, usually I like to check with my guests as to how to pronounce names but uh, it's pretty easy with you, it's uh, quite literally just a D and a K isn't it? that's it so it's my legal proper name it's on my passport and everything fantastic <laughs> so before we get into all sorts of the amazing stuff that you do these days and particularly in that speaker coach uh, speaking sort of environment as well and being a creative producer uh, can you give us a bit of background you know what have you done to get you to where you are today okay the edited version is quite simply uh, a very squirrely way to where I find myself. So I started my first career in local government. I was a youth worker and right. in leisure development and youth working. That was my first foray into grown up life, putting pants on and going somewhere for work. So that was my first career. I worked my way up to uh, a corporate youth officer role, the first ever role in the UK government a- anywhere in local authorities. I was in Somerset, I was at the time in England. And uh, that meant I sat in a chief executive department. I wrote policy. I advocated for youth at decision making. I handed out grants to the youth work services and stuff like that. And it was great. You know, it was fantastic. But I got bored of the politics and I didn't like that level of politicking. So I did that for, I think, about 18 months and high fived and got out there. Started my first company all about youth entrepreneurship and kind of social social investments from uh, corporate social responsibility angles and that failed completely so I had to move back in with the folks that's a a learning uh, right there Uh, but then I also started my second business around 2006 called Media Snackers and that was Zeitgeist time I was a a nerd I've always been online I've been blogging since 2000 2001 part of online communities early on Uh, so that was all about how to get young people to have a global voice using these digital technologies 2006 was MySpace Vox Zanga Bebo came on you know all those things the phones didn't have the functionality of cameras until a couple of years later so it was very early Zeitgeist stuff, uh, but within five years, I was employing a couple of people. I'd done five continents. We were working with people like BBC, Gates Foundation, UNICEF, uh, Ubisoft, building capability in organizations, and we had dropped the youth focused. We were right. still working with young people. We were working with everybody by that point. And I'd done five continents, as I mentioned. I was a speaker in my own right. So that's where I cut my, I suppose, my mustard and and learned the trade of standing in front of audiences. Yeah. And then uh, after about six years of that, someone offered me a job that I didn't really want, but made it interesting over here in New Zealand. And they were going to buy into my businesses and they brought me over under a skilled migrant category in 2011. Um, and then I did that for about 18 months. And since that time, I've done lots of different things. Like I've been uh, a TEDx licensee. I've been a business designer for a year with a, a design thinking organization. 
And then in the last couple of years, I very much stuck my hand up and said, I'm a creative producer. I craft delicious learning experiences for clients. Nice. And I'm also a speaker coach that works with impressive humans. There's a duality to that, but it's like a Venn diagram. It overlaps a lot because right. I was running my own events. So I was booking speakers and helping them speak. And the TEDx, I was coaching the speakers. Right through, I was also delivering and developing a lot of internal events for clients, stuff you'll never see because it's stakeholder engagement. It's uh, we're launching a new policy or strategy. We have a new executive team. We want to announce it to our 100 leaders in the organization. So internal events and experiences. Um, and that's what you find me now doing today. Amazing. <laughs> what a backstory. You, <laughs> and I know it was in those, I, was, I want to say sort of early to mid 2010s uh, when mm -hmm. I was over in New Zealand that we first uh, encountered each other and uh, we, we, we sort of stayed in contact since. And that, that I, I can't remember exactly what the event was that you ran, but I just remember the introduction to using social media and using that and getting a to know yourself and how you want to put your persona across mm. uh, in that social media space, which was, I guess, relatively new in, in those days. But, uh, you know, that's something yeah. you've, you've always been involved with, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And 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 it's, people don't know what they don't know. And it's also for adults, it's hard for them to step into the new media space in inverted commas. And I use that intentionally, that language, new media, because when I started right. in social media, and online technology and emerging technologies. It was literally called new media. Right. It, it, that was the label in 2006 and seven and eight, it was called new media. It only transitioned into social when the technologies and the platforms really lent heavily in the connective side of stuff. Right. Uh, both in the, I suppose, the, the, the opportunities that you can connect globally. And then that's where they doubled down on in what's now called engagement, right? So when you met me, yeah, I was coming, coming to the end of that career or the mm. page was turning for me in the social media space. And I, but I was still advocating for the idea that don't matter what your age, you can participate. And the best thing about this is that it's not a, because there used to be a lot of language about digital natives versus yeah. digital immigrants when it comes to online and social spaces. The idea that, you know, young people today are born with without knowing the world of, of the internet and being highly connected and stuff. And I used to th think, well, we're also in this world as adults. Yeah. And yes, they are born into it, but equally we're bringing a, a wealth of experience that is different from them. So we know that we had to, you know, put tapes in machines and press play and fast forward stuff and not just skip and things uh, and didn't have the, the, the digital but analog experience of this world. Hmm. And I think that we've lost a lot of um, lost stuff to do with that. Uh, well, I wrote a blog post to sum it up, um, which is entitled The Pauses That We've Lost. So as right. adults, you know, we have a different experience of digital technologies hmm. because I remember as a kid showing my age, if I wanted to see a film, I had to go to the cinema yeah. or I had to wait till it was coming out on, on video. You know, so there was a huge amount of pause and expectation. Mm -hmm. And after the experience, it was usually a shared experience. I could directly talk to someone next to me and things. And we've lost that a little bit you know, mm -hmm. nowadays. And I'm not down on social because I love social. I still tweet heavily. I blog like a nutter. Oh, um, yeah. I tweet like a fool, as I say. So, <laughs> but, but equally, I think that you can't replace the human interaction and digital in the last couple of years, as you know, digital has got a big 
massive boon because of the remote working and COVID and pandemic has forced us to interact through these mediums. So I find myself in this, back in this game a little bit, but using the speaker coaching. But yeah, the social stuff was very much about empowerment. That's all, right. always what I thought it was about empowering people to have a global voice, to curate the media menu mm. and to learn rapidly and to play. And playing is such an important methodology for learning. We lose that as adults. The older yeah. we get, the, we and you got kids, right? So you know the idea that playing as a, a learning methodology is so important and key to young and emerging minds. We forget Indeed. that as adults. We don't give ourselves permission to play. So yeah. I'll stop there. I'm rapping too much. Sorry. No, no, it's, it's fascinating stuff. <laughs> um, I've just written a couple of points down that I'd like to delve a little deeper into, if that's all right. One of them was about that early failure um what's your relationship with failure and uh you know as an entrepreneur and, and someone who's, who's worked for himself for a long time mm. uh, how do you view failure i can give you the nice view on it which most people would go down the right well it's what you learn from you know it's not nice <laughs> at the time but you know you learn fast you fail forward and all those lovely little trinkets that we see on online and everywhere else but let's be honest we don't set out to fail and if we did as a learning criteria that's that's probably not healthy um so my relationship to failure is one of shock and awe it's like oh i don't like this and i don't like feeling this and let's be honest it's only the time um only time sorry is the variable that gives you reflection and uh, and the opportunity to situate it as a positive rather than negative mm -hmm. i don't we have to be honest about this. Failure is not a nice thing to experience. Now, there's levels. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> you can fail softly and quietly and oh, give that a go, but it didn't, and nobody's around to see it. Versus some of my clients standing on a stage and failing to deliver and connect a talk or failing because they've forgotten their, their words and all those other stuff. That's a more public. And then you get the real big public of what we're seeing a lot with our historical leaders uh people we held up like the billionaires are going oh they're great now are showing you know they're not that good they were lucky and let's be honest they're most billionaires are lucky they definitely work for it but they also come from privilege the majority of them as well so and they're pale male as still we, we've got a long way to go so i think failing for me is not something i strive towards but let, it's only time that gives me that reflection and, and turn into a positive i don't want it though <laughs> Good. To, I love an honest answer as well. That's uh, that's fantastic. Mm. Um, the other bit was around that TEDx. You mentioned TEDx and having the sort mm. of license uh, in Wellington. And um, I mean, most of my listeners are going to be familiar with TED and TEDx uh, as a, a format. A fascinating piece where loads of people learn from. What's it like from the mm. other side? What's it like to organize, curate, run one, help people get ready for? Yeah, I did it for nearly 10 years. And before that, I also helped out the TEDx Cardiff. I know the people from there before I emigrated. So yeah. I had a little bit of a, a history to do with it. And the reason I got involved and stuck my hand up to run a TEDx is because I wanted to go to one. I'd been to like six or seven before I emigrated. Uh, I emigrated in 2011. Uh, so it was early TEDx experiences. But I loved them. Like you said, it's a it's a a confluence of things uh, that goes on at TEDx's. First is the attendees, like they're madly curious. They wouldn't attend at a TEDx event if they weren't madly curious. So they yeah. lean in, right. they lean in people, they're conversational and stuff like that. So it's great. 
Second is the variety. Like, you know, you go to a TEDx event, it might have some loose theme, like connecting hearts and minds, right. which was one of ours in TEDx. Yes. You know, because you can't have a specific theme on, let's say, um, leadership or education. You can't. Under the TED rules, you can't. Mm-hmm. So you have a floaty theme. But the, because of that, then you have a, such a variety on the stage. So when you mm-hmm. experience a talk on, you know, um, something to do with biology and you're like, this is not my comfort zone, but magic that I'm receiving this. Or someone else stands up and you're not engaging with them, the topic mm-hmm. or them for whatever reason, you know, in the next 15 minutes, they'll be gone and another person will be on. Right. So there's the variety as well. And, and the constraints of TED as the format is magic you know 18 right. minutes constraints should liberate your imagination that's a Jürgen Leith quote which I use <laughs> often but from the other perspective organizing one you've got to be a little bit stupid to do TEDx because <laughs> most people don't realize as the licensee you cannot get paid there's right. a rule uh, now rules change so I haven't looked at them in the last 18 months so they might have changed uh, but definitely it's a voluntary effort and most of the people involved do it for free. And when I say most, we as TEDx Wellington, just for your framing and for the viewers and the listeners for this, um, TEDx Wellington was a small event, but it was also a big event. So we conflated and we con- constricted our, our kind of uh, needs based on what we were trying to do. So our smallest event was 100 people. Right. Boom. Nothing else. Cool. Fantastic. Our biggest event was 5,000. Sorry, 1,000 people. Uh, in in a, a theatre called St James Theatre on Courtney Place in Wellington, beautiful theatre yeah. with five thousand people watching online on the day. Wow! Right? So you see the scalability of mm. this, and you also appreciate if anybody has ever run an event, how silly it is uh, in terms of the uh, amount of effort it takes, the right. amount of just complexity to run a scaled event, and then adding that you don't get paid for it. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting uh, kind of <laughs> equation to step up for, but I did it because I, it was my purpose, right? To give right. people, uh, enable people to find and have voice. And it also set me on the trajectory of this creative producer route and the trajectory of the speaker coaching, because the first early TEDx's I was involved with and, and created space for people to stand on a stage, we gave support, very little support to the speakers. We'll be very honest, you know, we were failing them a little bit. So by the third time, I was like, we got to help the speakers craft their story and craft the delivery of the story which are two very different things uh, so I started the coaching program and by the end of it, it was a very set five-week coaching experience of all our speakers have to go through together as a cohort and that's separate oh wow together yeah. as a cohort because mm. all the speakers we chose were from Wellington so they were regionally based so mm. that was again a design decision to constrict the amount of people we didn't want like all over people no no because we, we wanted to put them through this experience as well to ensure mm. that the product at the other end was credible and they had that support so they could stand on that red rug and feel like they were standing in their story and deliver to a plum, you know. Yeah. But from the back end, it's just a, a crazy amount of logistics. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, AV, catering, venue, all the health and safety that goes with all that. Then there's a huge amount of design, aesthetics, um, not just the visual designs of everything, but also what we called the delegate journey. We used to always design two events at TEDx Wellington. The one event was the stage experience. So the speakers, that was one event we would organize. And then the second event would be the delegate journey. 
everything, nothing to do with the stage. So the experience of arrival, crossing that threshold in theatre speak, you know, now they're in a TEDx experience. And we became known globally as someone who really pushed the boundaries of creativity under the TED rules. So to give give an illustration of that, uh, the big one we became known for is TEDx uh, Wellington 2016. Our theme was trust. And we used that to aplomb in terms of the, we pushed out the announcement. 2016, we're going to have an event. TEDx Wellington is back. You, trust is the theme and trust us. Buy a ticket because we're not going to tell you how many tickets are available. We're not going to tell you where it is. We're not going to tell you who the speakers are. We're not going to tell you anything about it other than the theme and where it's, and when it's going to be. And the reason we did that is because we were invited at a special place and we used our creativity around it. Now, the special place I'll tell you in a minute, but people bought the tickets. We sold out 200 tickets in two minutes flat. And we then congregated those people in a space uh, in Wellington, a a new park that was opened. And we hired the only three double-decker buses in New Zealand. (laughs) There's not many double-decker, as in the old red double-decker buses, you know, the old historical London ones. Uh, So we hired those and we picked everybody up and we whited out the inside of the double-decker buses because people couldn't see where they were going with quotes, by the way, of the most famous TED Talks. So they were primed. See how we're designing the experience. They were primed now. Oh, I know that talk, you know, as um, Ken Robinson's one or whatever, right? And then they arrived and we built a little kind of football tunnel. So when they got off the the coach, they went into this tunnel, straight into the side of the building, straight into this theatre. And then they were like, I'm going to clue where we are because in Wellington, as you know, it's a small town. It's not a city, it's a town and everybody knows everybody and everybody knows places. So most people were like really intrigued. You could see it on their faces. Like, where the hell are we? I know theaters, I know places in, in town. Where the hell are we? And we quickly revealed where they were, which is you're at Park Road Post, which is Sir Peter Jackson's, the guy behind Lord of the Rings, personal, personal cinema and personal post-production studio. And it's a beautiful theater, as you can imagine. Yeah. It's yeah. stars in the sky and very ornate and it's beautiful. Uh, and, and we continued the theme in terms of we nobody had programs. So you didn't know who the next speaker was until it was announced. Right. And the speakers sat in the audience. So we put all our speakers through a five-week coaching experience, as, you, as I t- said earlier. But we had to get all the speakers to sign an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement, because we mm. couldn't have them tell anybody that they were speaking. We trusted them. Again, trust was the theme to yeah. tell maybe their cat or the kids, <laughs> whatever, but not to tell anybody else, right? Yeah. So that's the kind of stuff that we did at TEDx Wellington. But it was, uh, a, for me, being involved with that, I was really flexing my creative muscles. And that's why I did it. It it wasn't just about putting people on stage, but it was a a chance for me to do something. Always every year we'd come down and sit down and and the team would be like, what are we doing this year? I was like, right, I got a blank piece of paper. We're not doing what we did last year because that was a success. Yeah. So we're going to have to forge forward. So luckily we never failed. Every event we did, we sold out. And every event was, uh, was really unique. Oh, I mean, that that must've been an amazing experience for people because I know, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, in particularly in venues like that, I, I had the privilege of working with McLaren for a number of years, and they had a theatre in there or an auditorium area that, whenever people would go in, it was just that wow factor, you know. And yeah. um, occasionally, if I'm right in saying, there, there were a couple of occasions where they did that sort of secret, um, mm. or sort of the sort of presidential tunnel, you know, the, the secret service of yep. putting you through there. Um, but yeah, what what an experience for people just to open up into a space that they weren't necessarily yeah. expecting 
but I, I, mm. I love that creativity around the theme as well. That's a that's a fantastic mm. little, little journey there. Thank you, man. Oh, brilliant. Um, and so that has taken you. Let's let's move into the sort of what you do now. So who do you help yeah. uh, perform? How do you help them? So you've got those creative producer uh, elements, and you've got the speaker coach bit. Um, tell us a bit more about what you do in that space. So the creative producing is uh, a lot of it is hidden. Like I said earlier, is it's behind the scenes. It's consulting with uh, kind of event experiences or communicative experiences around activations. Activations are big words nowadays for events yeah. or <laughs> kind of spatial experiences, right? Um, so so it's some consulting. Then sometimes I get involved in MC, and it's not my favorite thing to do, but I'm good at it. Right. And that's always a, a tension, right? I find that interesting when you're good at something, but you, it's not the first thing you stick your hand up for, right? right? But I do it anyway, because if you've designed something, it's always good to deliver it as well. Right. And I've worked with government organizations. Uh, as you know, Wellington is a, a government town. It's where, yeah. where all the big ministries and stuff like that is. And then I do some studio experiences for clients as well. So that what that means then is uh, I book out studios. I book the, the videographers and the creative producers, the editors and things like that. And then I, again, craft what is going on in that experience whether it be like a small group of 12 12 people that we're doing a, like a mini event for to do with an industry say architecture for example or right through to say intellectual property the office here in new zealand they wanted to get uh people to do like a ted talk and and feature them as like a little vignettes and i was like TED Talks are really hard to do, or TEDx Talks as well. The format is a big ask for someone, but interviewing someone is easy because they you should be asking the questions that they know. Mm -hmm. And then if you do a little bit of coaching with the interviewee about how to create story and intrigued and tell stories right well, boom, why don't we just get them in a studio? I'll be the interviewer. It's easier for them. We'll create a lovely little space so they feel celebrated. And it's a, a lower hanging fruit plus you, as the client get your video vignettes that you can cut down or expand out. So that's the kind of creative producing side. And then there's the creative, sorry, the speaker coaching, which sounds like what it is. I do a lot of one-to-ones with inverted commas leaders. Right. And they they range from CEOs to big companies right to the executives. Um, or hey, I'm uh, I'm pitching to get more funding. Can you help me? You know, I, I got some big pitches to the or I'm pitching within my organization to the board or to my new team stuff yep. like that so there's a variety of things or yeah I do get still involved with people who are speaking at TEDx hey I need some to brush my my skills up a little bit there and then I also do master classes so I go in and deliver what I call purposeful storytelling master classes nice. which is around the idea of storytelling as a skill but it's also a spoken skill as well, or oration. And we all know people who are good storytellers one-on-one. -on -one. You sit with yep. them in a pub or over a peppermint tea, and they're great. They tell you great stories. But the second they stand up in front of people, mm. they fall over. And I also know the inverse. So I know great – sorry, I know people who are very comfortable in public situations. Yeah, I'll stand up and give a five minutes. Usually they're pale mill and stale again, and the CEOs or leaders, yeah, I'll open this, that's fine. You've got two minutes, two minutes, that's fine. Yeah. But they're not great storytellers because after mm -hmm. 15 minutes of their two minute talk to opening, and you just think, 
have you got a point? It's always yeah. fun for the listener if you do. And mm-hmm. it's a rambling thing. So they're comfortable public speaking, but they're not great storytellers. Brevity is a skill. Yeah. So I help people with those nuances uh, during my master classes. I've got a beginners and advanced one where I take 12 people. It's a small cohort, very emotionally vulnerable. We create spaces for people to be. Yeah. And it's an invitational participation event where, and I usually get, I don't put them on, I get bought in to clients to deliver them. So I don't right. put them on as courses. And the final thing around speaker coaching is that I've also in the last couple of years transitioned back online to help people present engagingly online. Cause I yeah. saw so many people and so many events going online or doing the hybrid thing. And I got involved in some consultations early on in the COVID thinking, uh, sorry, they were thinking we can't put on a public event, but we can do it online, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, DK's done a lot of that. Get him in. And I constantly, I was actually failed in my job, going back to failure with my clients because <laughs> I constantly say, don't do this because you don't have the capacity or capability to do it in the house. And mm-hmm. it's going to be boring and it's not going to be at the level that you're used to and, and the audiences or mm-hmm. it's just going to be boring. It's because people don't have the literacy for presenting first of all online well yep. so all they're going to do is share their screen you should never share your screen and, and present um there's very few reasons why you should and they're going to read a script and for the audience member it's going to be boring mm-hmm. and also at scale that's really hard to do create create engagement online so i kept on telling my clients all right you got to create from first principles which is now we got to think about people at, at home they're going through a 2d environment versus a 3d we're constricted in terms of other things will distract them what can we do to build a design experience for them that's going to keep them attentive and focused yeah. and inspired? That's a completely different event now than what yeah. you usually did. Online. Yeah. So I failed in terms of hardly anybody listened to me. They just cracked on. And hence why I now got an offer out there, which is uh, an online course. And I uh, thank you. you. I know you, you did it. So thank you. Yeah. And uh, all about presenting and engaging the online to show yeah. people the tools and the nuances to still keep this engagement and attention but online, what you would do in real life. So that's yeah. the update to what I'm doing at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I, I will attest to that because I uh, I signed up to that course and it was a fantastic. You know, I do love the online course side of it where you can just dip mm. in and out and you can go back. And it's just like, I've done that a couple of times since where I've gone, oh, that bit on the mm. audio visuals, where am I at now? Let's go back and just check where, where mm. things are. Uh, things are. Thank you. As well as the story, you know, you, you touch on some of the storytelling uh, elements mm. and bits. Uh, so yeah, I would <laughs> any of the listeners who are out there give it a uh, give it a shout. I'll have the links in the uh, in the show notes. Oh, thank you, so uh, make sure it's all, all available. And um, I would I think as you say, it's a different world, and you can't assume mm. that the same approach is going to work in that world. And particularly now, I see a lot of yeah. businesses going to more of a hybrid approach. Um, mm. yeah, and and yeah. even even those that are bringing everybody back in, you've got to rethink things again. You've got to make yep. sure that it's right for the audience set that you've got, haven't you? Mm. And and it's also people are pitching for work online now when they never used to, right? Mm. They're networking online when they never used to. You know, they they were always after going press the palms and stuff. Now it's and global, especially larger organisations, are now going, oh, we our budgets have been you know tightened yeah. because of covid yeah. has had an impact let's be honest globally in most sectors so traveling is one of the dis- 
discrepancies uh, that we can get away with trimming if we can make a business case for just doing it online. And now everybody has done shit online. People yeah. are much more literal, uh, literate, sorry, to jump in and mm -hmm. a lot more. So if, go back three years. And if we had said, hey, let's do a meeting, let's do it online and I can pitch you some work. Um, people would be like, what? Now it's not unusual. And yeah. now if you think about all the different sectors out there, um, I do some work in the architectural space, uh, as you know, and industry and sectors around there. And they're pitching, you know, multi-million dollar stuff mm. online now. Right. Whereas before they would definitely have to travel, do the plans, you know, make the relationships and spend time in on site. And they still have to go on site, don't get me wrong. But now they're pitching in a very different format. Mm. Um, but we're still doing it very badly. We're still doing the PowerPoint presentations. We're still yeah. being reduced to a little posted size stamp version of yourself hidden in a corner. And then yeah. you 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 get confused about I'm not getting much feedback, much emotional engagement. What do you expect? Uh, the, the person on the other line, their engagement, uh, brain, their lizard brain is going ignore that because it's so small. It's 2D. It doesn't matter. Right. right? And that's when you come into the cognitive uh, fatigue or Zoom fatigue. It's mm. not about being online for that amount of time. If you actually read the research, it's that as well as it's a 2D environment. It's a reduced environment of human interaction. All that compounds into mm. Zoom fatigue or right. just being fatigued online. So if you are presenting online, present in your whole self. Remain online as much as possible. Yes, yeah, share slides mm. uh, if you can, but do it in a way where you can come back very quickly. Uh, is my point and that's my shorthand of the whole thing that I do in that course some would say it's a it's a different version of an old skill I I've had my eyes mm. open to it almost being a new, a new set of skills really because it is presenting mm. being able to manage the tech in a smooth manner that mm. you know you don't have to be technically hugely savvy no. and have a, a huge amount of uh, kit that you've bought nor invested huge amounts of money but the right stuff and the right investments and the right approach um, can really just make that little difference that's going to make the engagement and the experience for your audience just a whole different um, ball game, really, isn't it? It is. And there's one thing I'd like to kind of not challenge you on in what you said, because I agree with everything you said, but just maybe amplify a little bit. Like, yes, you don't need all the, the lights, the whistles, the bells and whistles and things when it's just engaging and networking things. I would say I would maybe reframe that to a perspective of if you're pitching for work, if right. you're pitching for investment, if you're pitching mm -hmm. for collaboration and partnerships and stuff, and there's multiples of you pitching for the same RFP or, you know, whatever is out there, how do you separate yourself? You know, quality straight away is still one of the key things people are going to be looking for so if everybody's opening their laptop shooting up their face you know in a very bad way and sharing their screen with bad sound and bad lighting okay very quickly you can raise your screen as you've done you know get some nice lighting uh, diffuse it get the headphones on so the sound is at least good enough and yeah. it's better most but what if you then if you've got a company invest a little bit in the tech like the tech i'm using the only bigger piece of equipment is the camera. And that cost me, what, a thousand New Zealand dollars, 500 quid uh, yeah. to break it down for people. Um, but what if you had a small office in one of your or even a cupboard in one of your, your big offices because you're pitching for work constantly and you set up the nice lights and the nice camera in there. Mm -hmm. And that's where you go to kick ass. 
as a brand, especially when you're talking about bigger investments or things like that. I think that was the only thing I would say is that that's when investment, a little bit of investment, we're still not talking a lot, and especially big companies, mm. they should be setting up spaces for when it comes to presenting. And a lot of companies now present to global markets mm. or on global conferences. And now they'd be invited to present, but online to global audiences. And they're still doing it in a corner with headphones, with you know bad lighting and an odd angle with something going on in the background or doing that fuzzy background thing. It's mm. like, no, commit to this. Right. If you've got like a good half dozen people presenting every couple of months globally, right, that's time for you to invest in the tech and setup. Yeah. That was the only thing I wanted to say. No, excellent point. Excellent point. <laughs> um, couple of questions about your own performance then. Who do you go to mm. to up your own game? So I was thinking about this. Yeah, more recently, I've gone to people and, and been a bit more overt with my questions and saying, hey, have I given a good account of myself in the last 10 years? Uh, just because I'm in a transitional period at the moment. Um, and also, I've recently invested in some coaching. Right. So I've actually gone and, and asked other people to evaluate me in inverted commas. Now, that's done through a couple of methodologies, I suppose. One coach is very much a startup founder startup coach and also coaches other leaders and he's got his own bespoke approach so that was great just to uncover and he challenged me actually on my purpose line and he's known me for 15 years I was like brilliant I love that pushback he thinks it's not broad enough so I'm now evaluating that at the end of the year and thinking okay I need to reprime it a little bit the other one I did more recently was the Clifton strengths assessment out of Gallup I don't know if anybody's aware of that. Listen to that. And that's fascinating because what that does, it assesses you based on your strengths. Mm. And then it gives you a criteria, almost a uh, the top 10 strengths or top five of your strengths. And the focus there is to, yeah, be aware of your weaknesses, but outsource them. Right. Know your strengths, but then understand how to apply them and amplify them. Mm. And what's coming out of that is validating which is nice yeah. uh, my two strengths for anybody who cares is ideation which is creativity yeah and stra- strategy right. so strategic thinking which mm. i love but mm. strategy for me is never planning it's that's half of it planning and then activation of it mm. so putting a plan into action is strategy for me right um so my third one by the way is responsibility so i like <laughs> taking ownership about right. things, which mm-hmm. feeds into my solo entrepreneurship, although I'm hungry to collaborate with other people. So in terms of evaluating my performance, uh, yeah, there's, I've been very uh, specific about that and explicit, uh, but also I I definitely seek after every masterclass I give or one-to-one I give, I hey, is there anything I missed, uh, anything I need to change? I'm really happy and keen to learn. I actually ask for that. Yeah, I know in all of our conversations that we've had and uh, the same with a lot of really high performers that I see around is mm. when they ask for feedback, it's it's a genuine tell me. I want to know. I want, mm. you know, and in fact, I'll, the validation is great, but, you know, that, that helps me in certain areas so I can lean into those, but really help me to improve on the bits that didn't quite mm. hit home with you. Um, and that's that's a, something I've been working on myself, actually, is how, how can I put myself right. out there, be more open and say, look, give me warts and all. I, I want to hear it. And when people do give you the warts and all and they have, <laughs> thank you very much. I really appreciate that because it it, it doesn't necessarily uh, feel great, but it will help you in the long run. And that's the, that's yeah. the way to grow, isn't it? 
Well, I, I was going to ask you a question on that because I find it hard to separate opinion from fact. Right. Right. So you got someone feeding back to you and they might say, blah, blah, blah was great. Mm-hmm. But that bit couldn't really engage with it. I got confused or I thought you'd do more on it, whatever. Yeah. And you're like, oh, great, great. That's good to know. And then you go, OK, nobody else said that. So is that a personal thing or is it that nobody else is keen to give that type of feedback, mm-hmm. but they might have felt it or they didn't notice it. So it's hard to separate opinion from fact, right, when you have a human lens coming through it. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of other, I suppose, uh, the uh, the scales you can put out, you know, I'm, I'm blanking on the words for them as feedback mechanisms. But how, how would you go about that when you you know work with other leaders and try to advise? I, them I think the. Space? Whenever you hear whatever score or fi- bit of feedback that you've uh, mm. you've had, it's um, that in itself for me is just some. You know, I'm never really bothered by that particular thing. It's that next level of questioning. Right. It's okay. Can you tell me why? Why have you scored me there, or why did you mm. think? What was it about the way that I presented that made you not necessarily connect with the the, the subject matter or whatever it might have mm. been? So it's about, and then once you start getting people more thinking about that why did i say that if Mm. that conversation can lead to actually it was it wasn't really about that it was about actually the the way in which you picked up on that point or you've mentioned that before and it was so if you can just delve into that next level of questioning is yeah and that that's why the sort of happy sheets uh element is always a a tricky one isn't it because it's like Mm. how do you score me out of 10 you know well i'm an average 9.4 brilliant but why have people scored a 9.4 you know what what was it about mm. it? And, uh, and even when they say mm. they presented really well what's the next obvious follow-up to that is what yeah. was it about the presenting that came across really well <laughs> yeah. why did yeah. you think that why why would you score me that compared to somebody else you know it's a it's mm. it's a it's a conversation starter and I think when when the bits that I'm always interested in in particular is if you've got a group and you score them or you give opinions like if everybody's got the same opinion that's one valid it's a a data point Mm. it's also a validation almost of that data in some ways to say lots of people are thinking that but when there's a spread that's a it opens itself up for another conversation which is why you know Mm. why is your opinion so different to that person can you and then can you engage people in that conversation as to why have you scored? I do this a lot when we're doing like prioritizing of ideas and things like that. You know, so like mm. you, you think this one's high value, you think it's low value. Why mm. is that? Oh, I think yeah. it's high value because it will solve these problems for me. I think it's low value because the monetary uh, number that sits around it isn't that high. Well, you've got mm. two different things and then, okay, so talk about that. <laughs> why? You know, why Context. You, yeah. And, and it just starts a conversation and that's what it's all about. Uh, you'll that's find cool. Thank you. Much, much more riches in those conversations. So, no, good, mm. good question. I, I don't get enough uh, people challenging me and questioning me on in this podcast. I, I need to get more. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, closing up with a couple of uh, sort of shorter questions, really, is, is sure. if if you were able to help a any person, team, organization um, with your skill set, with your experience. Who would you want to to go out there and help them to perform? I thought about this, and I kept coming back to the idea of climate change folks. And I actually did, and then I had a recall. I for there's there's Climate Day, 
happens uh, in the year. I can't remember when, might have been August or July, something like that. There's the, the World Climate Day or something like that. I remember like pushing that out on Twitter and LinkedIn and saying, hey, I'm happy to give free consulting and free like coaching, speaker coaching for any climate based organization slash charity out there uh, to help, you know, craft if they're delivering anything and nothing came back. And I was like, oh, OK, um, because, I, you know, I'm a bit concerned, like most intelligent people about the world at the moment. Mm. And I want to if I can help to to alleviate some of the, uh, the issues. And I think communication is the massive key to mm. that uh however i i apart from people the obvious one george mondo um greta thunberg definitely loved how she speaks so passionate um al gore those those people um we need more auditors in that space and intentional storytellers as mm. well with a variety of stories and a variety of ways of delivering them not just one way um and i'm just and picking up on then the media side of things, that's what the media goes for, those stories, right? So we need more of that. It's starting to help, but let's be honest, COP27 or whatever it was called recently, you're like 27 times now. Come on, yeah. we're leaders. You need to, you know, so we need better stories to amplify and move into action the populace. Mm-hmm. So anybody in that space. Oh, nice. And um, and flipping that on its head a little bit then, if you were able to sit down mm-hmm. and, uh, and have uh peppermint tea have a have a beer whatever your thing is um, and learn from an individual or a team or an organization Mm. who would you love to to sit down and have that chat with yvonne chenard who is the founder and chief executive of patagonia Nice. recently announced that they are turning all their profits into back to the world essentially back to the earth yeah um which is just fascinating i'd love to just spend time shadowing him rather than just talking seeing how he communicates to his teams and how they react and how they sit around and and embody literally the values that they they talk about um it's it's definitely an outlier i don't think it's nothing else is like it no there's other companies out there but they definitely are leading the charge and then just for my creative itch I'd love to spend time with Reggie Watts. If you don't know him as a performer, poet, slash provocateur out there doing amazing things, just watch his TED Talk alone. Reggie Watts TED Talk. And you'll be like, what? (laughs) And the guy has a different brain. It's as simple as that and a different skill levels on how to communicate. They just sit there and go, go on, hit me. I'm just going to giggle a lot and then go, wow, I'm going to steal that. So, yeah, him. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'm going to uh, make a, a couple of notes there because I'm definitely going to follow up on on the uh, the Reggie Watts beat. So I'll, uh, I'll see if I can put the the link to the TEDx talk in or the TED talk in the show yeah. notes as well if people want to have a, a little listen themselves. Oh yeah, please do. Yeah. Um. And finally, then, how do people find mm-hmm. out more? How do people get in touch? Uh, I know you're uh, active, should we say, in the uh, in the community. So uh, how do people reach out to you and find out more? Best way is through my website, and it's justadinak.com, but that's spelled out. So as you would write that out, J-U-S-T-A-D-A-N-D-A-K, justadinak.com. Obviously, I've got that because that's what I'm constantly saying for the 
what my life is when people say your name dk and i say what and i say just a dna k <laughs> so that i've got the dot com so that's the best way and you'll find then links to twitter i don't know how long i'm gonna last on there bless him um yeah. Uh, the the shit fire that Elon Musk is doing there, bless him. Um, and then I'm active on LinkedIn, but I usually use LinkedIn for people that I know, so I don't mind connecting people on there. But you know, say something first rather than just connect. Um, I don't add people who just connect without context, just because right. I've got someone, you know, no point. But my blog is the first one, and I love email, old school man, hit me yeah. direct. Don't just peripherally float around me. Hit me direct. And again, you're going to hit me up through the, through the website and that comes direct to me. Right. Uh, so it's a contact form on there. And uh, yeah, those are the main ones. Cool. And the presenting engagingly online, What's the, how do people get more involved in that? Thank you, dude. Uh, there's a link on the top of my website, but if you can just go to presentingwisdom.com, that's presentingwisdom, all one word, on the .com, you will be kicked straight into my course. Uh, I've also just did a TEDx Nelson talk. Yes. So I've done a TEDx talk recently. So I was, I was literally on the stage rather than behind the stage for the first yeah. time. Um, and now the title of my talk was, this is the public speaking lesson you never had. Yeah. So a bit glib, bit cheeky, but uh, I condensed the last 16 years, the last five years, six years of doing this stuff into an 18 minute talk for you. And it summarizes definitely all the good stuff on there. And the reason I bring that up is because I'm trying also to write a companion guide to go along with it, like a little ebook, uh, which kind of broadens out some of the things. So uh, again, I'll be announcing that via my site and probably check it out on Presenting Wisdom as well. So uh, yeah, those are the things and the activities I'm doing. Brilliant. Loads of links to pop in there. And I watched that TEDx talk, uh, I think just yesterday. It was a fascinating one. And uh, Just out. And as you as you say in the talk, there's stuff that I'm never going to be able to unsee. So <laughs> there you go. I apologise now. <laughs> <laughs> no need to apologise, mate. Uh, DK, as always, an absolute pleasure, mate. And uh, and best of luck with all the great work that you're doing. And I hope to catch up with you soon, whatever side of the world that might be. Definitely, Paul. And just before I go, thank you for doing these things as well. You know, uncovering these stories, giving people the platform, just to gentle kind of celebration for you here for doing this and thank you for the opportunity myself as well oh mate always a pleasure so catch you soon take care thanks for listening to today's episode if you liked what you heard then please give the podcast a rate review and share i'm paul teasdale and from sausage making to banking oil and gas to formula one i help people perform if you'd like to find out more and have a conversation contact me via helpingpeopleperform.com.